Probably most of you know, maybe some of you don't, the word Hosanna means God save us now. That's what it means. And so I was sitting there worshiping, just thinking about where we are as a, as a nation, as people, as a church. Do we really mean those words? Is that something that we can say as a cry of our heart? Do we really mean it? Because to declare it and not mean it is hypocritical. And to mean it is to ask Jesus to be Lord, Master. It means that He drives the bus and we're passengers. It means that He rules and reigns, and we live for Him. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, I fear for our country. I fear for my sons. I fear for your kids. Because, frankly, I don't see Christ ruling and reigning. I see Him becoming irrelevant in our country and pushed to the wayside. And though I believe there's time for revival, unless His people who are called by His name will turn from their wickedness and repent and pray like we have not ever prayed before, we're in trouble. I am more convinced every day, and the passage before us is testimony to that truth. We are God's kids by grace, amen, and hallelujah, unmerited favor of God. The Jewish people were God's chosen people, specifically pointed out amongst all humanity as the ones upon whom God would favor with his presence, with the tabernacle, with his blessings. And they stand as testimony. It is they that we can look to and say, where does the road go when the people refuse to do what God asks? And I tell you that that road is not good. It is... Very sad. And so this morning, learning from our past, would you pray with me? Father God, as we turn our attention once again to your word, Lord, it's not certainly my intent to bring your people to a place of worry or concern beyond what you would have for us. But God, we believe that unless a nation has God as our Lord, we're in trouble. Unless we as individuals are allowing you to rule and reign in our hearts and our minds and our actions, we're in trouble. Unless we learn from our past that we're in trouble and doomed to repeat it. And so, God, we give you this time this morning in your word. Lord, it's your word. You authored it. You wrote it. You meant it for instruction in righteousness. And we pray that you would speak to us through it now. 
We ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first 11 verses this morning. And it begins with a simple statement. It says, moreover, brethren. Now, if you remember, as we've looked at chapters 8 and chapter 9, what we have here really is Paul's example of his own life in, in a way of taking those liberties which we might have and using them properly so that they might be a benefit and a blessing for the kingdom. We all have many things that we can do, we can choose to do or not do, that maybe are not inherently sinful, but they have the capacity to be used one way or another. And Paul simply uses his own life and says, be careful how you use your liberty. He now goes on to bring to very clear, laser focus a single point. And that single point is this, that if we're going to, as we saw last time, run the race and we're going to run it in relevance and we're going to run it to win, then we must learn from the past. We ought not in our own personal lives and we certainly ought not as a blessed people in a blessed nation continue to repeat those things which have proved destructive, catastrophically so, in the past. And so he's going to bring to the forefront the Jewish people, a people like no other people that's ever lived on the earth, a people upon whom God's favor rested, a people upon whom God had blessed with unbelievable blessings, who he himself had delivered time and time and time and time again. And he uses now their example. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. He goes back all the way to the book of Exodus, and he begins to present the picture of the Jewish people. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Very clear who the rock in the wilderness was from Paul's perspective. The Lord Jesus had been with the Jewish people even though he himself had not come to earth and had not died for their sins. He had provided for them in the wilderness. He was their source of strength. He was their provision. He was the one that delivered them. He was the one that fed them. He cared for them. He watched over them. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. What a horrific statement. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. The Jewish people are testimony of a people upon whom God's favor rested, but they thumbed their nose at God. They said, you know what? We don't even like the way you take care of us. We're not sure that you said what you meant and meant what you said. We don't really care what you've said, and in fact, we're going to do exactly the opposite of what you have said. And the reason I draw your attention this way is this. If under the law, most of the Jews perished, all but exactly two in the wilderness. 
Joshua and Caleb. If under the law, not under God's grace, but under the law, much more difficult situation for people to live under, by the way. If under the law, through God's provision and his care and his love and his direction and his protection, if God under the law allowed all of the Jews to perish in the wilderness, what do you think he will do when we spit on grace? What do you think he's going to do? Now, am I saying that I heard directly from the Lord that the end is near? I can't say that, but I can tell you if under the law, God caused all but two of his precious people, probably two to three million of them, to die in the wilderness. What do you think he's going to do when we thumb our nose at his grace? It's a serious passage of scripture we find ourselves at this morning. Albert Einstein is the one who's credited with to repeat something, to do the same thing over and over again, is the classic definition of insanity. And I say to you, when we have spiritual lessons that over and over and over and over again have been repeated, for us to ignore them is insanity. It's insanity, brothers and sisters. God does care that we destroy innocent life. God does care that marriages don't stay together. God does care that we are on the verge of, of redefining marriage. God does care that we produce more porn than we do medical journals. Did you know that? God cares, and he is not pleased. And we have been blessed like no other nation on earth, and I wonder what God's saying this morning about America. Because we've had it really good. And we've had grace. If you want to have joy in the Lord, I can tell you one way to not get it. And that's to be a disobedient child. Just like in your own homes, probably with your own children, or perhaps thinking back on your own childhood, if you want your parents' favor, you kind of need to keep the house rules. Amen? Uh, imagine that times infinity. I, I don't know how many times greater it is, God's desire and design for us. But what do you think he does when his children repetitively say, you know what, I, I, you said that, but I don't believe it. You said that, but I'm not going to do it. You said that, you authored that, you, you instructed us this way, but I'm not going to behave that way. Matter of fact, I'm going to behave exactly the opposite way. I can tell you what he did in the past. He wiped out his own people, the Jews. He says now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what happened to our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. He's talking to the church at Corinth, the church that was bathed in sexual immorality. He says, God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them, and he brought them safely through the waters of the sea on dry ground. 
what he's saying was, you know, the, the life lived for God has always been somewhat of a struggle. Amen? If you haven't figured that out in this world, then I would question two things. One is that perhaps you're not actually living for the Lord, and that's why it's not a struggle. Or two, you just haven't made it there yet, and you will. Because it's a struggle. It's hard. It's tough to walk right side up in an upside down world. Amen? It is hard. It's not easy to stand for righteousness when it seems like the whole world is unrighteous. It's not easy to take a stand for Christ when the whole world doesn't like what Christ stands for. Amen? It's always been that way. But we've always had the choice whether we will do it or not. And my question this morning is, will we do it? Will we learn from the past? And whether it's your own life, maybe those in your family, or maybe you take it all the way back to this example, which is the children of Israel. God is faithful to his word. And if he punished them, what do you think is coming for a nation who has lived in grace who refuses to live godly. Brothers and sisters, I see a disaster on the horizon. That's what I see. And I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm saying God is perfectly just. He's perfectly fair. He will owe it to that nation. He'll owe it to us to do what's right. If he punished his own people, do you think we're going to escape? People have asked me why I'm so strong on these issues that seem to be political. Frankly, they're not political at all. They're biblical. And the church needs to rise up like it's never risen up before and stand for what God stands for. And stop playing games. Quit authorizing sin at the expense of a name on a church door and say, you know what, not in my house, not ever. And encourage other people to do the same. Because if we don't, I guarantee you we find no more favor with God as his children of grace than the Jews did as children under the law. I guarantee it. Because his word declares it. Not because I have some special phone that I can dial up God and ask him personal questions. But because he has, he has said these things to us. It's a struggle to obey. It's difficult to, to be a Christian, brothers and sisters, means to act like Christ. It doesn't mean to act like the world and try and justify it under grace. That's why he's talked about liberty. That's why he said, you know, here, you can do these things, but is that the way Christ would act? Is that what Jesus would do in that given situation? Would he take that liberty and crush the soul of someone who's weak? The answer is no, he would not. He wouldn't take advantage. And I say to you that just like the story that we looked at on Wednesday night with King Belshazzar, he, he had a godly father in Nebuchadnezzar, and he refused to live the same way. And it cost him his life. I don't think God changes his character for us. I think his character is as it has always been, perfect, just, and holy. And though he has been gracious and kind, I believe that he is still the same God. And ultimately, one day, he will have had enough, 
and he will give us exactly what we have asked for. Now, we can either ask for righteousness, we can ask for holiness, we can ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, or we can ask for what the world's asking for, which is for him to change his character, for him to accept what he has already declared he won't, and for him to turn a blind eye to the things that we think we ought to be able to do simply because we know better, because it's 2012 and not A.D. 1. Dangerous place to be. In the book of Exodus, we find the children of Israel traveling under this providential care. And and what they refused to yield was their hearts and their minds and their wills. You see, that's the trouble with humankind. Oh, we can play around and we'll do things. In other words, our actions will look decidedly Christian. I'll go to church. I'll even read my Bible. I'll even occasionally pray in public. But my heart is far from the Lord. My mind is not guided by his word. And my will certainly isn't his will. It's still my will. And I say to you that the example before us should strike a chord in each one of us as we look to live for him. Living as we please, failing to yield to his leading and guiding, is not found in Scripture. The person that says, you know, I can live as I want, I can sin, sin with impunity, I can do whatever I think is good for me, doesn't know what the Bible says. Nowhere is that approved of in Scripture. We can't spit in the face of grace and expect God not to respond. We can't, as the church, corporately continue to just turn a blind eye as the world goes to hell in a handbasket. We can't do it. And if we do, we will be as the Jews who perished in the wilderness. We will be as the Romans. We will be as the Greeks. We will be as the Medes. We will be as the Persians. We will be as the Babylonians, but a point in history. That's what will happen. Because God has always done that. He's never not done that. You want to pick up a good secular read, pick up the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Read it. Find out what happened. It's the same things that are going on right now. It's the breakdown of the nuclear family. It was turning to homosexuality. It was the destruction of innocent life. And it was the exclusion of the average person from daily life in Rome. That's what destroyed the Roman Empire. I just described to you exactly what's going on in our country right now. Will we learn from the past? The Jewish people were liberated in mass, were they not? When they went through the sea, how many went? All of them. That's a picture of God's grace, by the way. It's available to all. But you've got to take it up. You've got to walk the walk. You've got to make the journey. But when they got to the other side, you can almost picture it as now they're living in grace. And God miraculously provides for them. 
He takes and turns the bitter water to sweet. He provides for them water from the rock. He gives them manna. All these things that happened to the Jewish people. They were all baptized into Moses in that regard. Not literal baptism. It was simply a picture. They were all brought into the same place. They were all given the same opportunity. They all, if you will, there in verses 3 and 4, had the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the rock, and that rock was Christ. It's real easy to understand what's being said here. So they all had it. They all lived it. Moses got water from the rock, both at the beginning and at the end of Israel's journey. God said, I was the rock at the beginning, I was the rock at the end. What happened? Did you not believe me? You remember Moses' experience at the rock the first time. He said, these people don't deserve it. And Moses got punished because he misrepresented God. He said, I didn't tell I said, go talk to the rock. Don't strike the rock, because the rock is Christ. Don't crucify again yourself, the Lord Jesus. You don't need to beat him. You just talk to him, and you have what you need. And by the end, they weren't any better off after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's interesting to me that we're coming up on that 40-year anniversary of our desire to kill unborn children. It's going to happen this next year. Fifty million of our babies have been slaughtered on the altar of Molech. Now, you may not like me saying those kinds of things. Frankly, the world needs to hear it. Because God's not pleased. Because behind that is promiscuity. And behind that is the destruction of the nuclear family. And behind that is gay marriage. And behind that smokescreen exists a life that is lived apart from God, period. How long does God allow you to wander in the wilderness before he says you won't change? I'll let you have what you've asked for. It's a question for us this morning. Exodus chapter 14 says this in verse 31 in the New Living Translation. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord that he displayed against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and put their faith in him and his servant Moses. You see, initially, they got it right. They said, wow, this is God. But then they began to grumble and they began to complain and they began to have a beef with God. Verse 5 says, and yet after all of this, after all of his miraculous provision, brothers and sisters, look around our country. Is there any place on earth like this? The answer is no. I can tell you having traveled to a vast majority of the world, the answer is no. There is no place like this. There's no nation that's ever been as blessed as we are. There's no nation that has as many things as we have. And like it or not, don't care whether you're a revisionist historian or not, we were founded on biblical principles. That's where we got our start. And for a large part of our history, we have lived that way. That's why the jokes have always been that there's a church on every corner in America. It wasn't a joke, it was a truth. 
And it wasn't a Muslim church. It wasn't a Hindu church. It was a Christian church, a group of people gathering together in the name of the Lord and praising God and saying yes and amen to the things that make us who we are. The difference is we have been a Christian nation, but I ask you a question. Is tolerance actually love? I say to you it's not, because it's caused us to tolerate things that God hates. It's caused us to walk in ways that God doesn't want. It's caused us to take up causes that are not of the Lord at all. And it's caused us to be something that God doesn't want us to be. And so if tolerating things causes us to walk away from God, then I say let's become intolerant again. That's not to be hateful. That's to simply acknowledge that there is one God in heaven who governs the affairs of men, period. And we are mandated to live for him and to walk with him. After all that miraculous care, they failed to learn from their past. Look what it says. God was not pleased with most of them. What an understatement that is. God was not pleased with all but two of them as the actual truth. Can you imagine a nation getting to the place where there's two people left that have enough faith to enter the promised land? God help us to not be those people. God help us to stand up. Notice verse 6, please. And now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. What do you think of those words? Those things happened, happened, occurred, were as examples to us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, all that have gone before us, that God has used by way of example, especially the Jewish people, those things have happened for a purpose. They've happened for a reason. They stand as testimony to you and I so that we can look at that historical past and go, God help us to not ever go there again. Where did they go? What, what, what was it that was so horrific? goes on in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. He said that the Jewish people's lives had become marked by this, pleasing themselves to the point of sexual sin. That what mattered most to them was getting full, getting drunk, and having sex. That's what it says. That's all that mattered. After everything that God had done, the Jewish people were reduced to carnality. That word that's translated revelry actually means singing and shouting and dancing to promote sexual promiscuity. That's what it means. It's a pretty interesting word. Think about our society. 
Think about the Super Bowl halftime shows. Think about television. Think about movies. Think about magazines. Think about the Internet. And I ask you, where are we going? Are we not headed the same direction? We have now become so preoccupied with homosexuality that a group of people that represents probably 2% of the population of the United States controls the whole public discourse. Because of how they choose to engage in sexual activity. And we're all, oh, well, we need to change the laws. 98% of us don't feel that's correct. And yet we're going, well, you know, maybe we should because it's inclusive. And yes, I'm being a tad direct with you. Because I'm sick to death of Christians going, well, you know, we just need to let this go. We need to let it drop. We need to just stand aside. It's going to happen anyway. If another Christian says that to me, in the name of Jesus, they're going to need a new eyeball. (laughs) No, we need to stand for righteousness and keep standing for righteousness until there's no place else to go. We need to stand up and not lay down. If God punished the Jewish people, he's going to punish us. And I know this is hard to hear, and maybe you don't want to, but it's the truth and we need to hear it because we're coming up, family of God, on a presidential election where these things are at stake for us. And if we do not stand where Christ stands, we are in trouble. And you may not want me to talk about political things. I don't care. If it offends you, I'm sorry, I truly am, but I'm telling you, if the church doesn't wake up, we're in trouble. Deep trouble. Because God has already punished His own people for the same things. Notice verse 8, and if you think that I'm exaggerating, let's focus on verse 8 for a moment. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. You want that story? Turn to Numbers chapter 25. That's where you'll find it. It says in verse 1 of that chapter, And now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. And they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and their people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined with Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against the nation Israel. And it goes on to say that 23,000 of them died in one night. The priest finally rose up, took spears, and said, we're going to go kill everybody that's engaged in this, lest the whole nation die from it. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go get spears. But I am telling you this, it's a serious thing to thumb your nose at God. And God doesn't take it lightly. He's been gracious, He's been kind, He's been long-suffering, but I do not believe that He will continue forever to simply turn a blind eye when we say, God, you're wrong. And if we don't stand for what He stands for, I expect to get punished. How's that for you? I expect to be punished. I expect our nation to be overrun. 
I expect him to give it to another, as he has always done. I expect to see us not prosper anymore. That's what I expect, because he did it to the Jews. And if he did it to his chosen people, I don't believe that I'm going to escape just because I'm a child of grace, because I've had it easier than they did. That immorality that has overrun our country. And family, it's overrun our country. Let's stop playing games. It's overrun our country. Immorality has overrun our country. If you don't believe that, every single time you click onto whatever internet service you use, what do you see? There's 45 stories about who's sleeping with who, about who's doing what to whom, about who divorced who, about who's doing whatever with whatever about gay marriage, about everything is slanted that way. We're openly saying, we don't care. We don't stand up, we're saying we don't care. Please stand up, because your kids are inheriting this earth. And so are mine. And I'm not going quietly. I don't care if this church is two people. And I mean that. I don't care. But I do want this to be known. We stood for Christ. We stood for His Word, and we did what it said. And if the rest of the nation wants to go the other way, I'm staying. You know, sometimes people look at me and they go, you know, wow, you you just got to tone it down. I can't. (laughs) I can't, and I won't. It's who I am. It's the way God's made me. And I, I don't think that we can sit here right now with what's at stake and go, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God didn't mean that. You know, after all, the Jews really needed to all die in the wilderness, but we're so much more enlightened than they were. I'm not willing to take that risk. And I'm not willing to let you walk out of these doors and think that you're different. I can't do it. I may offend some. And again, I'm sorry. But the truth's the truth. And if we don't stand for the truth, then we aren't standing for anything. I don't want you to believe what I say. I want you to believe what God's Word says. And it's really clear. Causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. It's a lot of people, folks. They'd been filled with sexual immorality. They had been filled with the worship of the golden calf already. God doesn't take lightly when he says no and we say yes. It's that easy to discern. Not up to us. And you guys can look in your own lives and the people that you know, and you can see this in action. The moral fabric, the soul of our country is rotting right before our very eyes. Anybody that says differently is just plain blind. I turn on the television, I'm like, okay, got 247 channels here on Direct TV, and there's only two of them I can watch. Because the rest of them are hideous. It shouldn't be. 
I believe that we can change the course. But we better stand up before we're asked if we're going to cross into the promised land. Amen? We need to talk before we get there. Not after we're there and go, whoa, we're dead. We need to learn from it. God has never turned a blind eye to idolatry. And everybody goes, well, you know, I don't have any idols in my house. Yes, we do. And we need to be really careful about how our kids see us worshiping. Because we're either worshiping the true and the living God or we're worshiping an idol. And that means that we live for Christ. That means we breathe for Christ. That means we walk the walk, we talk the talk, and everything in between. Amen? That's what we have to do. And it's not going to be easy. It was a struggle in the wilderness. It's going to be a struggle at your house. It's a struggle at mine. We need to stand for right relationships. We need to stand for God's priorities. We need to take up His banner and not our own. It's just time for us to stand up. We need to stop letting our friends get away with bashing Jesus. We need to be able to stand up and say, you know what? I'm voting this way because God's word points that way. Not because I'm a Republican, not because I'm a Democrat, not because I'm an independent, but my Bible says this is the way I ought to vote. Because if we don't, as I said, I fear for our country. Verse 9, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and died from snake bites. He uses a further analogy. If you remember the children of Israel, when they worshipped the golden calf, one of the things that God told them to do was to erect a bronze serpent in the middle of the camp, and as the poisonous snakes bit them, all they needed to do was look at the serpent and live. Beautiful picture of grace. They didn't need to do anything. They needed to go see the, the local doctor and get a shot of Andy Venom. Look at the snake and live. We need to look to Jesus and live. We need to gaze in his wonderful face and stop looking at the world. Stop trying to appease the world because, frankly, we can't appease the world. The world will always ask a price that we cannot pay and should not pay. Remember the children of Israel. After all that, this is why I said these things this way. After all that, he says to them, as you look at the Jewish people, you remember what they did by the time they got to the end of the book of, book of Numbers? They were grumbling. They were complaining. They were whining against God. They were saying, man, you brought us out here in the wilderness to die. I know we all feel like that occasionally. Amen? Like, oh, man, it's just too hard to walk in the ways of the Lord in this world. I mean, I'm out here and, you know, my, my unsaved friends, they have this and they do that and they seem to be perfectly happy and they're doing all these things and look at them. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it is death, brothers and sisters. That's the fact. And one day we're all going to know that as absolute truth, but I tell you it's truth right now even if you don't know it. You see, the children of Israel believed the lie. I'm going back to Egypt. They didn't learn from their past. 
They failed to see the hand of God in the simple things of having food on their table and having shade over their head and being clothed because God said, I'll take care of you so that their garments did not wear out and their shoes did not fail. While they wandered in the wilderness, God took care of them. And even though we may be in a wilderness time, God is taking care of us. And I ask you, will we honor him? Will we say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I've blown it. I need to be stronger for you. And then go do it. Because I believe the stakes are high. And it says in verse 10, And don't grumble as some of them did, for that is why God sent the angel of death to destroy them. That doesn't frighten you. I don't know what will. You know, when people have been blessed and they fail to see it, God's grace is sufficient, and he just blesses us in spite of it at times. But there does come a time when God says enough. You want what the world has? I'll let you have it. But it won't be good. And verse 11, these things happen to them. Notice this plainly again as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of ages has come. They've been written to us as the church, as God's kids by grace, especially to those of us who are now at the end of the age of grace, especially to those of us who may well hear the trumpet of the Lord, especially to us who have prospered so greatly and had so much given to us, especially as examples to us. Family of God, I pray we learn from the past and that we stand right now for the Lord God, that we will proclaim Christ until he takes us off of this rock, that we will dare to be different, that we'll dare to be Daniels. Get the study in Daniel. It's been awesome. If you can't make it out on Wednesday night, grab a CD, listen online. Daniel's three friends stood when two million were bowing the knee. That's what it's going to take. And I pray we're willing to give it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to learn from the past so that there might yet be a bright future. Lord, we don't know how long you will tarry. We know that the world is, is coming apart. We know that there are situations in the Middle East that at any moment could erupt and even lead to a nuclear war. God, we know that your word declares that in the last days there will be a final battle that will ensue and it will be in that region of the earth. And we know that your word says in the last days that men will become lovers of themselves instead of lovers of God. And Lord, as we look around, that's what we see. And it would be foolish of us to believe that we will escape if we have not stood firm. God, you're always faithful to your people who are faithful. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to stand. Help us to learn. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light. God, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, who is our Savior, our Lord, 
and our soon coming King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.